Pilot TV podcast this week, we join a blood-soaked Mark Strong as he heads into London's underbelly in Temple, catch up with BAFTA-winning Top Boy after a six-year absence, and dig deep into a true crime case with Caitlin Dever and Tony Collette in Netflix drama Unbelievable. I'm Terry White and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. Once again, within just two short weeks, we are without James Dyer, who, after trotting off to Star Wars, has got into America once again, this time seemingly without incident, to, well, go on some roller coasters. We're not even kidding. Who is paying him for this shit? But don't fear, I am here, I am not alone, for that would be a very tedious podcast. I am joined by the other constant in my life, the Jacob Reese mog to my Boris Johnson, the man who by the end of this podcast will be slumped down across three seats like a giant spoiled toddler. It's Boyd Hilton. God, compared to Jacob Reese mog It's <laughs> painful. Money, you've compared yourself to Boris Johnson. Right? Yeah. That's, topical. Yeah, very topical. <laughs> Okay, fine. We'll deal with it. I mean, you couldn't look and be more unlike. True. Jacob Jacob Rees-Mogg. No, that is true. Yeah, but I do sprawl. (laughs) Boris Johnson, right? Yeah, I do like to sprawl across three seats, though. Yeah, yeah. That's just general, not general behaviour. We could fit, I think, six Boyds in one Jacob (laughs) Rees-Mogg. I don't even know what that means, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Can I just say I'm furious that James isn't here for two second out of three weeks just just unacceptable behavior I know. and he's still texting me about the show from wherever the fuck he from florida or something like midnight the other telling night. me to watch peaky blinders which by the way i did he yeah he was texting us at midnight the yeah. other night and he was like broxy blah 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 <laughs> james Splain, exactly james Splain from a and i just I, th- I like the fact we both just ignored it yeah. as well yeah, which, which it. means he's fuming somewhere yeah. probably Definitely on a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, to his left, you just heard him, is another first timer on the Pilot TV podcast, who we will be hoping doesn't defect to the Liberal Democrats, aka the Empire podcast, part of way through this recording. It's writer, critic, broadcaster, hope I haven't left anything out, Amon Warman. Amon, welcome. Thank you. You did leave something out, though. Go on. Video editor. Video, I see. I knew I had. <laughs> I knew I had. I'll get your CV next time. Um, how do you feel about being on the podcast? Awesome. Thank you for having me. Actually, I thought I'd better have something prepared because I have been sort of listening to the pilot podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, too, did not know what read to filth means. <laughs> so I did copious, copious amounts of research, meaning that I typed in uh, read to filth, meaning into Google, and found out what it means. Would you like me to bestow this knowledge upon you? Yes, because all we know is is Ben yeah. Travis's uh, definition. This was on the podcast, what, two weeks ago? One, two weeks ago when yeah. Ben covered for James, where he introduced us to read him to filth, read me to filth. So what is the actual definition, okay. Amon? This is from Urban Dictionary, and I quote, To read is to harshly critique or insult someone with your quick wit. That is what read for filth. Read to filth. Is it read for filth officially? Is that what you're telling us? Is this hold? Are you telling us that we've been using it wrong? wrong. And also, I think that means the whole usage is wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. Read for filth. This is a whole new. You've you've opened a whole can of worms here. Has it as read someone to filth, um, uh, and they have it as uh, to thoroughly insult or to comprehensively call attention to the flaws of someone. Does this mean RuPaul is using it wrong as well? 
<laughs> she's got her own way of expressing herself yeah read 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 to Phil read for Phil yeah it all works for me um, and Amon we should say that actually you wrote the cover story of the new issue of Pilot TV which came out Thursday with Empire if you haven't got it what have you been doing get your ass to the shops do you want to tell us a little bit about that cover story yeah it was funny I actually didn't clock that I was writing the cover story until this came through my letterbox. I was like, oh, I did that article. <laughs> oh, so that was cool. Um, so yeah, it's about um, Marvel TV on Disney Plus, and I give you some informed speculation on what might happen in Loki, in WandaVision, in Hawkeye, and in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And uh, Falcon with Soldiers one I'm especially excited. Yeah. Also, what if I'm forgetting that one? Yeah. Um, that that that's also very exciting. So yeah, that was fun to write. We just want it all now, don't we? That's the problem. This is such a long wait. I know. I need my Marvel fix immediately. I know. We can't do another. What is happening with uh, with Disney Plus thing? But what is happening with <laughs> Disney Plus? <laughs> we could, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So let's get to uh, what we're watching. I mean. We're all watching one thing, right? The greatest drama, comedy, thriller, satire that's ever been broadcast, which is live Parliament telly. Ah, yes. What a week. Yeah. Has anyone else just been addicted to it? I started, I put it on in the office when we, I was doing some work, honestly. Um, and we had it on in the background. And then I got home and put it on. And it was just, it just seemed to be going for like 24 hours a day. Yeah. And it's just been, this week has just been, we're recording this on Friday afternoon, extraordinary stuff going on in there, like Jacob Rees-Mogg and his, his I wouldn't even call it man spreading, I'd call it like posh dickhead spreading, which isn't as uh, articulate, but you get my yeah. point. Just extraordinary scenes that actually, you know, if you wrote them into a TV series or a film, the notes from the studio would be like two on the nose. Nobody would believe it. Just the most crazy, crazy, crazy scenes. And it's actually like distracted me away from actual telly. It is incredible. Yeah, I, I'm the same. Yeah, I've been watching. I, I, don't, I haven't been tuning in to the, particularly to um, the Parliament Channel, which is, has ratings have gone up massively. It has it is getting its highest ratings ever. I think there was one time when eight hundred thousand or nearly a million people were watching, which is unheard of. That's incredible. But I have been watching Daily Politics on BBC Two pretty much every day, News Night every day, and quite a lot of live coverage on the BBC News Channel, and listening to quite a lot of it on Radio Four and Five Live. So pretty much every other avenue there is. And definitely the peak, the moment you're, you're talking about, you know, you, you would be asked to, you'd get a note telling you to take out um, implausible developments. The best one for me was when Boris Johnson did his speech in front of all those police cadets oh my God. who were forced to stand there, waiting for him for an hour before he even got yeah. there. And it was quite hot. And one of them practically fainted towards the end of his rambling, incoherent nonsense. And he couldn't really deal with it. And he meant to kind of do it. Oh, I should wrap up now. And then didn't do anything about it. And yeah. she was there kind of fainting or whatever happened to her. That was, again, people were going, no, that's not going to happen. That can't happen. Actual, I mean, world, yeah. somebody um, compared it to that footage, you know, of Obama when a very yeah. similar thing happened. Yeah. And a, a, I think a female cadet fainted behind him and he immediately yeah. like, he dealt with around, it. Yeah. was like, what's happening? Are you yeah. all right? Picked her up. That's somebody. Yeah. yeah, it's been extraordinary. Yeah. Amon, has it been? I've seen little bits of it online, uh, but it's too depressing for me to do. I mean, you're watching a bit on every platform. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's an addiction. Yeah, uh, it's too depressing for me. I have been watching sort of The Dark Crystal. Okay. Really, really good. I mean, there are similarities. <laughs> yeah. There are similarities. Yeah. Gexie! 
um, and yeah, just in the cinematic into the television landscape, which is dominated by computer effects, it's really cool to see something this old school puppetry mm. on a grand scale. And that's been really good, really fun to watch. Daniel Pemberton, uh, he's a, I'm a big fan of, he did the score for that as well. And it's one of the best pieces of music I've heard all year. Uh, so highly recommend seeking that out. I've been watching this of all the new stuff, actually. Okay. Um, so uh, I've been watching, re-watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Wow. Oh, wow. I used to watch it growing up with the family all the time and obviously really, really enjoyed it. But it's different watching it with adult eyes. And it's really impressive how the film, the, the show, it, it, it dealt with race and privilege in really smart ways. Mm. And now sort of re-watching it at this stage of my life, I can better appreciate that. So that's been fun. I've been, the, the news of the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show has inspired me to rewatch The Clone Wars, which in turn... Really? Oh, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it actually, actually led me to uh, remind me of the first thing I ever did for Pilot or Empire ever, I think, which was when my interview with David Fanoli. Yes. First issue of Pilot. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Obi-Wan has some really great storylines in that show, actually, with uh, Darth Maul, with Satine, so... Yeah, I, it's I, like James never went away. I know. I was going to say, really is. we never knew how good yeah. this fit would be. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still sort of working my way through it. But Wu Assassins is on Netflix, and I'm oh Netflix. yeah, and it's just nice to have to watch an eco away fight scene where the camera is put in the right place and we can actually watch him. Yeah. Work. Because his recent film appearances have not done that. They, the camera is shaking. They're cutting it to pieces in the edit, and I'm like. You hired Eco Uwe. <laughs> let him be Eco Uwe. Literally, just put the camera there, go have lunch. You know, yeah. just let him do his thing. So it's good to watch that and appreciate Eco Uwe doing this thing because as anybody who's watched The Raid knows, the guy is amazing. Uh, so I'm still working my way through that too. What a week. Yeah, that's a lot. What are you doing? Um, well, since James um, uh, sent us the message, a joint message saying, and I quote, Proxy thought for the podcast, Peaky Blinders episode four, fucking hell. What an incredibly made episode of television, best series yet, I'm saying, which was, as you say, last night at 2.35am. Oh my God. In fact. Um, so I have watched it. because So this is the episode that will have gone out. Um, it goes out, in fact, yeah, on Sunday night, we come out on Monday, so it would have gone out last night to anyone listening. And it is absolutely incredible. In this particular case, I know it's extraordinary, but I have to say James is right. And whoa, I know, whoa, 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 I know. whoa, whoa. And I think it what... Is <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. So I have to give him credit. Um, it is incredible. And I think what it reminds you of is, is, is it all goes back to The Godfather. So if you yes. think of the way The Godfather does set piece... Um, acts of violence. Like this, the, 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 the set piece. Yeah. Think of At that when you see the, end, the the climax of this particular episode. It's got that written all over it in a good way. I think you know there's a way of using that. It doesn't make it seem cliched and obvious, and it is just a spectacular piece of filmmaking, essentially. Um, so yeah, that was brilliant. Pinky, I think it is the great best series of Peaky Blinders yet, which is pretty incredible considering how good it's mm. been. I also want to mention Stathlet's Flats in complete contrast, which is a comedy that goes out on Channel 4 on Monday nights. Um, Jamie Dimitri and his sister, and it's about a doofus um, uh, uh, person who's trying to work in an office where they sort out short-term lettings. And it is... Series one was funny. Series two is fucking hysterically funny. Brilliant slapstick. Brilliant silliness. It's incredible. Hang on. Didn't James watch this wasn't this the source yeah. of some controversy yeah. on a recent podcast because James watched it accidentally <laughs> or claimed right. we were meant yeah. to watch it and we didn't that's right um, yeah. did he like it I can't remember I think he quite liked it maybe but I probably wasn't listening 
I don't know. <laughs> but it is, honestly, it's so funny. Yeah, I should, we, we should have, yeah. It was a busy week, but stuff that's facts. Channel 4 is on a massive role when it comes mm. to comedy because This Way Up is still on mm. at the moment, reaching the end of that series, which has been incredible. Ashley B's show. Um, you know, we had Game Face recently. It's honestly, it's doing really well comedy wise. Well done, Channel 4. Yeah. Mm. Well, the other thing I watched this week, just for a tonal shift, was yeah. Untouchable, The Rise and Fall of Harvey Weinstein, yes. which aired, I think, two weeks ago. And we didn't um, yeah. we didn't review it that week again. I think it was a busy yeah. week. Um, uh, it's a feature-length documentary, a new documentary about Weinstein, um, with uh, actresses and staff members who'd either um, allegedly been abused or had witnessed the abuse or had been part of kind of helping it go away at the time when they'd worked for Weinstein. And I have to say, I've read a lot and seen a lot about Weinstein. And it, it's not necessarily that there were explosive new revelations because there weren't, but it was more a sense of um, you really got to hear these women's stories. Some of the individual stories were so affecting and so brilliantly and sensitively handled, but they really got a chance to tell their stories in detail. Um, I found it incredibly, incredibly moving. I don't know if you saw it at the time. I did, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it was incredible, absolutely phenomenal, yeah. Just, and just because it's all from their point of view, yeah. isn't it? And and that's the great thing about it, to get them to talk about it on camera in such a detailed and, as you say, moving and just appalling, just just painting this portrait of this appalling human being. Yeah, yeah the, the testimonies were so powerful because when normally in that kind of documentary, and I think it is to do to do with the feature length nature of it mm. because normally within, especially within an hour long documentary, it's all about the edit and everything being quite tight. Yeah. They stayed with particular women for a very long time and they allowed the story to unfold quite slowly. And so the amount of detail you got and the amount of understanding of the situation they've been, and then also... They spoke very movingly, but again, in, in amazing detail about the consequences and kind of what they've lived with mm. ever since. And the camera stayed with them. You know, somebody would break down into tears and they would be, the camera would stay with them while they didn't speak. And it was just clear the kind of emotional devastation that had been wrought. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, and if James was here, he'd be rolling his eyes at me and, and saying that I only like miserable things. It is on BBC iPlayer Um right now should we talk about news yeah so the first thing i want to talk about is that pilot tv in conjunction with empire have published their best of tv oh, in yeah. 2019 list this caused some debate in the office um, mainly james is wrong and it was mainly <laughs> i think it was how high can star trek discovery be on this list was the main yeah. point um I think it's a really great list. We've got Stranger Things, Russian Doll, The Virtues, I Am, When They See Us, an amazing mix of American and British TV, kind of main channel, linear TV and streaming platforms. Um, but the winner, the number one Empire and Pilot show of 2019 so far is the OA Boyd. Yes. yes, very exciting. And I did not, I did not um, fix this. This was a democratic decision. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I was thrilled, and I think the um, I think the OA fan base because I didn't. I actually didn't know when this this thing was going up online on the on the website, and then suddenly there were loads of people online in the in the OA fan base going, "Oh, brilliant!" You know, they've acknowledged the fact that this is this is an incredible show. Um, so they were thrilled about that, and um, and I think it's richly deserved. Yeah, just because it was such. A, I mean, even if forgetting the fact that it's been cancelled, and everyone's furious about that, including me. It is just a unique, singular, unbelievable piece of creativity. So, yeah, it's fantastic. That's number one. Very pleased. 
Amon, what do you think? I'm guessing you don't agree with our number one, or you maybe think well, there should have I, been something I, else. I can't sort of add a comment on it because I don't watch the OA. <gasps> I will. How, how many seasons do I need to catch up on? Two. Oh. Yes. A mere 16 episodes. Okay, uh, yeah, it's fine. You'll be fine. What, Do it over the weekend on the Netflix. On okay. the Netflix. Okay. I'm going to get back to you on that. Yeah. Um, I would probably say my number one is probably, probably When They See Us. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Just the acting um, in that is exceptional. The way Ava puts it together is incredible. It's very, very heavy. Like, I don't, I don't remember. Another sort of film or TV show that I've watched, which I've had to take regular breaks within yes. the episodes because mm. it's just too tough. But um, it's a very well worthwhile watch, and I expect it to be very much in the thick of it when it comes to award season. Yes, I'm sure it will be. And it was in our t- either top five or top ten. I can't remember. We it's number uh, five. Number five. Yeah. We reviewed it really well on this podcast. Um, so would that have been your number one or number f- for one. the year? Yeah. That's strong. Uh, I really like Mindhunter, the second season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm spacing right now, but I've seen a lot of good TV. It's been a good year. Yeah. It's been a really, it's been a really good, good year. year. Really good year. Number two was Fleabag. Yes. Okay. Series two. Three was Chernobyl. Chernobyl. I want to watch that, but that came out, I came out around the same time as When They See Us, and I heard it was also... Oh, yeah, great, that's true. I'm it like, did, yeah. Yeah, that was a heavy <laughs> yeah. period yeah. for real-life TV drama. <laughs> yeah. Four was Game of Thrones... Which really? is controversial, really? controversial, yeah. Just above when they see us, which is five. Yeah, a lot of people want. Oh <laughs> furious. That is, again, I demand a recount. <laughs> wow. You see, I think it's fair enough because everyone, a lot of people were down on this series of Game of Thrones. It became a thing how down people were on it. But I maintain that it's still up there as being fantastic television. I think if you stand back from it and go, look, how, you know, this is still a brilliant thing. Even if you think it's a, a downturn from previous seasons. I still think it's up there as being a spectacularly fantastic television. So I'm I'm with it. I'm down with it being. Do you think it was too high? Too high. <laughs> too high. And you know, I I've said often when Game of Thrones is at its peak, there's nothing which can touch it. Um but yeah, it's it doesn't maintain that level. Um and this season especially, I just think it's just too rushed. Too rushed. If they had had the normal amount of episodes, that would have alleviated a lot of the issues which myself and many others had with it. Mm. Uh, But that was not the case. Well, and you can't vote on that, but there is a poll currently on the Empire website, um, which is for the greatest TV shows of all time. Um, yes, which is quite the task. And if you would like to vote in that, because otherwise it is just going to be James voting for Star Trek <laughs> and Banshee and Fire Escape over and over and over again, then just go to empireonline.com and you can find the poll there. What else have we got this week? Um, Will Poulter joining the cast of um, Lord of the Rings, the Amazon Prime version. I think it's... So we don't know who's going to play. Um no. No idea, but I feel that's strong. I, I love Will Porter pretty much, even even when he's in something not particularly great like the Maze Runner 
films, he's still... For example. For example. <laughs> just, just plug that out. For example, he's still an incredibly um, charismatic screen I presence. Yeah, I think mean, I love him. Think about him in Detroit, right? Which yeah. was, what, two years yeah. ago and really went under the radar for lots of reasons I could never work out. I think mm. it was a particularly strong year, I remember, in an award season at that point. But he was absolutely mm. outstanding in that. I think he's done such amazing yeah. projects over the last few years. Yeah, brilliant in Midsummer um, yeah. this year. Um, so I think it's yeah. So that makes me immediately that casting makes me feel better about this whole project because I am slightly cynical about the whole thing. Um, um, all of that, right? Yeah, because yeah, I've been a bit more on this series because I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy as I'm sure everybody in the film does, and all the spin-offs, the prequels, the games. I've played, we've seen most of them, and they haven't, uh, you know, gotten close to the quality of. Uh, the films or the initial films but uh, Will Porter the guy is 26 I know wow. the way he's had already that's is incredible. just ridiculous so you know his casting definitely piques my interest and I'll definitely check it out so in him we trust yeah any well actually we should talk and especially in James's absence <laughs> let's talk Mandalorian so um, yeah. There were some pictures released this week um, and bits and bobs of new information. Um, Amon, where are you on Mandalorian? Excited to see it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is where this is going to say a very un, un James like thing. I am not the biggest Star Wars fan, but I am excited. Whoa. To see it. Wow. Whoa. We take back all your, your just yeah. like James comments. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but I am excited to see it. I love the cast uh, Pedro Pascal, Gina Carano. Um, I assume we're going to see Pedro Pascal's face at some point in the series. Yes. yes. Uh, so, yeah, excited to see it, but I'm not sort of, you know, chomping at the bit for it, as I'm sure a person who's not currently in this room is. <laughs> <laughs> quite... I'm going to hear it from him as soon as he gets back. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> He's going to levitate into this room right now. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm interested. I'm interested because because I thought the the trade that we talked about last week looked yeah. incredible. And um, John Favreau, who is the is he the showrunner? Yes, yeah, he is. Yes, he said he was quoted as saying it's it's like the first trilogy. Yes, in the kind of in terms of you know the kind of I guess production value and storytelling and everything. And that's a pretty you know that's a bold thing to say. I mean, I guess you, he would say that, wouldn't he? But equally. He didn't need to say it, you know. So, uh, yeah, that... that, that. from the trailer, he's right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, it really does look like proper like yeah. Star Wars film that's going to be on TV every week. For but him. gritty as well, yeah. gritty. And him with Filoni, I just think, is dynamite because, you know, you look at actually what Dave Filoni has produced across the entire universe, his storytelling output across so many mediums is unrivaled and I don't think you there's really any producer who knows the universe and the nuances of the storytelling as well as him. I would agree. He kept, in that period where there was no Star Wars anything, he really kept that, that flame burning in a really cool way. And I reiterate, Clone Wars is great. Uh, Rebels was also very good. I've watched clips here and there from that. And all the, all the Darth Vader stuff especially is mm. really, really cool. It's one of the best ever Darth Vader comebacks, which I'm not going to try and imitate here, but... Come on, oh, on. you can't just throw that out <laughs> yeah. and not deliver. Okay. <laughs> so, I can't remember what episode it's in. It's in Rebels, but uh, so the Darth Vader, he sort of comes into this place. He's, he's standing on top of a TIE fighter, and I think uh, his name is Ezra. It's like, sort, of, sort of like a Jedi in training. Right. Uh, and he's trying to be brave and step to Darth Vader. And I can't remember... Uh, but yeah, he says he says as he's about to fight Darth Vader, uh, I'm not afraid of you. To which Darth Vader responds, 
then you will die braver than most. And then it's good. really cool. I highly recommend seeking it out. Because um, James Earl Jones really came back to do the voice for that as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Because if you can cast James Earl Jones, you do it. And, you know, John Favreau, you know, did the same thing with The Lion King, rightfully so. Uh, so, yeah, I highly recommend seeking those shows out. They're really good. And just like that, your James points have been reinstated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you see that um, uh, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins has um, got a massive deal with Netflix? Um, yes. So this is quite exciting. Um, she, can, she can direct, write and produce um, loads of series. Basically, Netflix is now signing up every major talent out there who can write and direct stuff and produce stuff and signing them up to their platform. It's so... You know, ongoing, you know, when it comes to, you know, in a few months' time or, in, you know, say in a year's time when we've, there's about five or six different streaming platforms that are all wondering how much, where to spend our money on and you get slightly annoyed with them for cancelling the OA. <laughs> but then you think, okay, they're giving really talented, interesting people the chance to do whatever the hell they want to do pretty much creatively. I'm still, yeah, okay, it's still valid that you exist. Well, let, let's also remember about Pastor Jenkins. This is, I've got a bit of a beam up on it about this, which is, you know, she makes a film like Monster yeah. and, a, a, you know, award-winning, critically mm. acclaimed, incredible film and then struggles to essentially get another movie right. for, what, like more than a decade? Yeah. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And then when she got Wonder Woman, people, some people were like, oh, you know, well, can she handle this? Can she right. handle this? Something that is very rarely said about um, male directors with at least, you know, there are there are men who've never made a feature film before who were given trust with big budgets um, and incredible titles. And it was kind of uh, frustrating to see what happened to Patty. Yeah. And then she created, if you remember where DC was when Wonder Woman came mm, out after yeah, BVS, we, we all yeah. know. <laughs> and BVS had done arguably so much damage to both... You know, the real hardcore fans, but also anybody who just dipped in and out of that universe before. And then she came along with Wonder Woman with such a bold vision and the best DC film in so long is now making Wonder Woman 2, which I'm inordinately excited about. Everything we've seen so far, even the fucking poster, which is one of the best posters we've seen this year. Mm. Um I think she's incredible. This actually, I have to say, we we talked previously about them putting the price up, as you say, and yeah. and kind of taking friends away and what's going to be, what are we spending our money on? This made me really excited yeah, because I was like, yeah. actually signing a filmmaker like Patty is a really bold, interesting yeah. move. And, and being the home for um, uh, when they see us, right? So, you know, giving yeah. filmmakers like Ava, who's doing some of the... Uh, best most searing work right now giving her a platform um and seeing that go to so many people and not just receive critical acclaim but you sense the real scale of people watching it yeah good for netflix totally which is not something always said on (laughs) this podcast it's normally why won't you show us your shows yeah exactly yeah no it is yeah i'm all for patty jenkins securing the bag as they say (laughs) securing the what securing the bag bag. is that for it oh my god it's another new phrase this is this is like young people corner on the podcast. Really is, yeah. We'd like to invite one millennial on every episode and they will tell us a phrase that we've never heard of. It's what? Secure the bag. Secure the bag. That means that you're getting the money. You, you, you've landed a big gig. You're securing the bag. 
I want to secure the bag. Can I, how do I secure the bag? You've you, you got, you got a pretty decent bag on. Am I all right? Yeah. Is my bag all right? <laughs> and, I, and if I supply or secure, secu- no, I don't supply the bag. Now you're confusing me. No, I secure. <laughs> do I secure the bag or supply the bag? Secure the bag. Okay, yeah. can, I, can I secure more bag or is that greedy? You can secure more bag. No. You can secure as many oh, bags as you want. I bet. Okay, yeah. how much bag have you got, Boyd? Um, I've got a little bit of bag to secure, yeah. 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 Why Can I quickly mention why we talk about Netflix? Because a few people tweeted us um, about the Hateful Eight situation. Do you know about yes, this? Yes, yes, yes. So, so the Hateful Eight uh, was re, repackaged and reformed, if that's, I'm using random words here, but it was turned by Quentin Tarantino himself into a four-part Netflix version of that film, yeah. making it even longer than the three-hour version that was in um, cinemas. And... It's and it was on Netflix and is on Netflix, but not in the UK. Um, and people were saying, you know, talking about it. So I think it was, we mentioned it ages and ages and ages ago, and it's and it's still not here in the UK. And I think and all I'm, the only reason I mentioned it because people asked us about it on Twitter, and, I, and I'm saying I think it is a rights issue. I think it's something to do with, you know, who distributed it here in the UK and Europe and what and 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 the different. I don't think they're doing it deliberately to keep us out of being able to see it, but that is why I think and hopefully it will be resolved because I do really want to see that as well because I love the hateful eight. Just saying. And actually, while we're talking about Friends, or I shouted it in passing, <laughs> did you guys read this um, Friends essay that kind of went viral this week, which was this BuzzFeed? Slugging it off. Which was yeah. friend, Friends Hasn't Aged Well, yeah. um, which was around the 25th. I mean, it's been lots of stuff around mm. the 25th, right? But it's been doing the rounds for the last four or five days. Um, by, I think it's Scarchy Cool, who's one, who's an amazing writer, mm. um, has a big presence on Twitter. But it seems to have rubbed people up slightly the wrong way because she talks about, you know, the fact that it's it's really not kind of very uh, tactful or sensitive in places, especially, you know, about like Chandler's uh, father, who is transgender yeah. and and maybe friends at the time as a representation of its time. When you look back on it, it seems kind of quite offensive yeah. in places. Yeah. What do we think about that? Like, or do you think shows should just be a reflection of the time they're made? Okay. Uh, yes, I think they are a reflection of the time they're made. I think, um, I also think there's a difference between, so I read, yeah, I read the piece and there was a lot of talk about how half the jokes, you know, that the men, half the jokes are kind of homophobic anyway, you know, about masculinity yes. are, are, and about being gay. Um, but I think at the time, well, I'm sure that at the time in real life, Half the jokes between, particularly between men about men, were like that as well. And I think to expect, I think there's a difference between out and out homophobia depicting gay people in a certain way. It's the same as racism, you know, depicting non-white people in a certain way, and having characters in a sitcom making jokes to each other about themselves and each other, which are, you know, when you when you analyse it, homophobic. I think I just think there's, it's different, and I think. It's totally understandable that Friends was that. Probably every single sitcom in the world was like that, including ones written by gay men. Frasier had a lot of episodes where two or three of the best episodes of Frasier where he was mistaken for being gay for one reason or another. And that's not... And, and you know, these were written by gay, gay men run, ran Frasier and they were brilliant. And it was still essentially, you know, homo, it was all about homophobia. But it's about that rather than using it to, to to amuse people. And I think that's the difference. Seinfeld saying there's a brilliant episode of Seinfeld where the whole running joke is not that there's anything wrong with that, i.e. being gay. And I wonder now if you presented any of these sitcom scripts 
to networks where they'd let you do them exactly as they did them back then because of sensitivity over these things. And that's probably right that you wouldn't do it exactly the same way now, but I think back then it was, it, it, it seemed absolutely fine. But do you think it's sensitivity or presumably times have changed? Because what you've just said is it's it's about intent, right? So yeah. there's no intent there for discrimination. It was about reflecting a certain reality in that yeah. world. Presumably the reason things have changed isn't necessarily because, you know, everybody's uber sensitive. It's because the world has oh, completely, changed. 100%. You'd, you'd hope. So. Yeah, I so think the world has changed. They yeah. wouldn't be relevant. Totally, but, yeah. But is, Amon, do you think that's okay if it is just if you if you make the argument which Boyd is making which is it it kind of just reflects a reality is that I don't want to I don't want to manipulate your no, argument I, I am Boyd. saying that yeah I am saying that yeah I would largely agree I would largely agree um, yeah everything's a product of its own time uh, I would not be surprised if in 20 years we're saying some of the stuff we're seeing today is you know you know sensitive and all the rest that they were saying about friends and um, just looking at sort of you know thinking about the show now it's very, very white. And, you know, look, look at sort of all the conversation now we're having about race and TV shows and films. And that could be a criticism and levied at it as well. But, you know, I still enjoy watching Friends. My sister, actually, she watches Friends all the time. I think she knows practically every episode verbatim at this point. It's actually insane. Uh, if there's ever a Friends quiz, holler at my sister. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's still, I, I, I still enjoy watching it, uh, re-watching it. Um, yeah, I think that's a good interview. I think that's the other thing I meant to say, actually, is if you just sit down, I think to be offended by it is, I think you really have to work hard at it. I think that was what a lot of people's response to this piece was. It was like, really? You're really watching Friends, are you? And you're and you're actually offended. And, it's not, and I'm not saying she wasn't, but I feel like that takes a lot of hard work for me to be offended by it. But maybe for you, because you're a... Sure, a white guy, but I don't right? think, but I, you, I know how much you love friends. I, do I don't love think friends. you're offended by it. No, I'm, Are you I'm not, but it? I'm also a white woman. Yeah, so I'm. Yeah, I think you have to be sure. conscious of of your perspective when you watch it, right? Yeah, that's fair enough. God, there's so much like agreement <laughs> and a lack of discord. Sickening. I haven't called anyone a bell end. <laughs> Still time. See what happens, James. I'm not saying you're the problem. <laughs> Any more news before we go into reviews? Uh, there's one bit of news which I found very interesting. A Sony CEO confirmed that uh, they are developing five to six TV shows set in Spider-Man's universe. Uh, we, Whoa. we have no details on what they might be, on if they're going to be connected to this, the new Spider-Burst that Sony are creating now that they have Spider-Man back. Um, it could be Carnage, it could be Craven. A while back, Spike Lee was linked to a Nightwatch movie and Gina Prince-Bidewood was reportedly working on the Silver Sable and Black Cat movie. Uh, those could become TV show characters, we don't know. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, especially given uh, Disney are launching their sort of Marvel TV. Uh, Sony may even sort of wait to see how that goes before. Yeah. Really putting them it's a bit the of a throwdown, right? In yeah. some respects. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, it, it could work. It could work. They have um, cool characters, maybe not the name recognition, mm. um, but you know, you think about where uh, Iron Man was back in two thousand eight. Mm. He was very B list, C list, and now he's a household name. Uh, Sony, you know, if they do it right, if they do it well, uh, they could potentially elevate characters in a similar way. So, Feige free though, right? This is this yeah. is what I always put up against is is the reason I don't have a moment's pause about Disney Plus 
in terms of some of, some of the shows will connect more than others. I don't worry about the storytelling or the production values or the quality because Kevin Feige would not allow it to go out if it wasn't the same standard as the cinematic offering we're seeing at the moment. And that universe he's built is just extraordinary. Um and so that that's the thing is, and they've you know they've said this week right that door is firmly 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 shut. Yeah, I was surprised and saddened to read that because I was holding out hope that maybe yeah maybe they come back to the table, but they didn't. Um, but you know, Sony have Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They do. And Into the Spider Verse was not is not only the best Spider Man film of all time; it was my favorite film of 2018 in wow. a year that had Black Panther and Infinity War. And if you know anything about me, you know how much I love those movies. So that is a big statement to make. But Into the Spider Verse is for me a perfect movie. Yeah. Um, so if you know if Sony is smart, they'll put Phil Lord and Chris Miller at the helm of all this. And if that is the case, then that gives me a lot more confidence in it moving forward. You might be right. I think you are right. See, yeah, more agreement, I, yeah. more agreement, more accord. Yeah. Can I mention one more thing quickly, on, which was Valerie Harper, um, the start of Rhoda, which I mentioned last week. Because when I did Lou Grant, um, I banged on about that as being a spin-off from the Mary Tyler Moore show. And another spin-off of the show was Rhoda, which was very formative when I was growing up, watching this New York Jewish sitcom and she was Rhoda and she was absolutely phenomenal in it and if people haven't seen it I think you can get it on DVD I think it might even be on iTunes honestly it's like a Woody Allen film in the classic days of Woody Allen apologies in, in recent <laughs> regarding recent Woody Allen I'm still I'm still watching Woody Allen films I'm sorry but it was like 70s proper Woody Allen on TV in TV sitcom form and it was brilliant. It was like there, she had classic Jewish mother who was spectacular. Um, she was incredible. It was honestly, it was an incredible American sitcom. And and she sadly passed away this week. Valerie Harper. There you go. Valerie Harper died this week. Right now, this week's reviews. And first, we have Temple, the Mark Strong produced and starring thriller about Daniel Milton, a doctor gone very very rogue. This is based on a 2017 Norwegian series called Valk Valkyrian. Valkyrian? Yes. Valkyrian. Valkyrian. I was going to try and do um, a Norwegian accent and then realised I don't know what Norwegian <laughs> no. people sound like. Um, and we all know how good my accents are. Boyd, you interviewed Mark Strong, didn't I you? Did. For the most recent issue yes. of Pilot. Yes. Um, not that we're saying you're biased like no. we normally do. Yeah, I'm um, always biased, yeah. But what did yeah. you think of Temple? Um, I really liked it. So he, yeah, he's very proud of it. He, this is the first show I think he's exec produced, mm -hmm. um, worked on it with his partner, who's a TV producer anyway. And so they saw um, one, an F, I think they saw the pilot of the Norwegian version, which is basically, yeah, this doctor running this kind of sideline project of fixing um, criminals deep underground. And they went, oh my God, we could turn this into a great British thing. They flew over to got the rights in, in kind of you know quite quickly and then went to work and i think what they've done is they've created a, a really interesting bit of storytelling the i watched the first three episodes and um you're immediately thrust into a kind of almost like a feel me like a coen brothers-esque slightly mm. kind of crime mystery thriller situation which doesn't feel like it's going to attach itself to any particular genre and it tells the story 
in a very intriguing and immediately captivating way. And I think there's a brilliant relationship with Mark Strong, who's quite who's this posh surgeon, and his sidekick is played by Daniel Mays, who's a working-class transport employee. Their relationship is in- instantly fascinating and intriguing. Then you've got something's happened with Mark Strong's wife, that she's been ill, and you're not quite sure how that fits in with the, with the idea that he's become this rogue person operating underground, deep underground, in disused London underground stations. There's so many intriguing elements to it. And then Carice Van Houten from, from Game of Thrones is also is one of his colleagues who she gets embroiled in the situation in a really interesting way. It's beautiful to look at, mm. fantastically well shot. The music is really interesting, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, it's kind of unusual, um, kind of mix of orchestral electronic music. So it's an electronica composer yes. called Matthew Herbert, yes. right? And I wrote this down because I thought this, the score was like, totally yes. took me by surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And the way they use it throughout the episode as a storytelling device, especially in the last kind of... 10 minutes yeah. or so I was just I was blown away by yeah. that and it was totally not what I was expecting from something like yeah. this yeah the music is incredible and I think they're so proud of the music they did a special screening this week where they did a live mm. um, orchestral accompaniment yeah which I couldn't which I couldn't make it to so I think it's a really intriguing and they're, they're doing a, a nice thing where the there's flashbacks and flash forwards and the flashbacks are in a different um, aspect ratio uh, just so you know where you are which you don't necessarily notice immediately but I noticed after a while it's just a really well made captivating, intriguing story, and I can't wait to watch the rest of it. See, I've only watched the first episode. I've got to say, I wasn't grabbed okay. by it, um, although the twist at the end made me want to keep watching. Um, that that was really, really good. I uh, did not see that coming. And, you know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for that, though, I wouldn't, I, I'm not sure that I'd be sort of chomping at the bit to return. Um, but thankfully, that's how it ended. And you said you've seen the first three, so hopefully it gets better. Yeah, I was slightly wrong-footed by it because when it started, and it is, I mean, it's slightly, can we just say it's slightly ridiculous, right? So so the moments you're like, what the fuck is happening? So, you know, he he runs down to these tunnels. It's deep under, I mean, it looks amazing. Mm. Like, let's just say that it does look amazing. There are some incredibly graphic um, surgery scenes done kind of in this DIY scene. He's got blood all over his shirt, which is opened a little bit. And he's very serious all the way through. And he's like, and yeah, Daniel Mays is this like rough, rough uh, criminal who's like running around. Um, And there are bits where you're like, this is trippy. (laughs) Yeah, But it it does pull it back to being more, because I thought, oh, this is kind of quite a pulpy overblown thriller in some respects but then when you start to see the flashbacks it's much more of a considered drama and it's the shift between those things which I found really interesting mm. like you say I mean there's there's you know my attention was drifting a little bit and we we can't say any more about what the twist is because it's worth waiting for but that is it is genius and yeah. it's so brilliantly used it, because yeah. I want to watch the second episode yeah. it's now, so right? cleverly done it's the, brilliantly the done yeah, it it's Absolutely. brilliantly done yeah. also like Chekhov's puddle with blood in the first episode yes yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, and I think that and the way they do the twist in the, in the, in the end of the first episode, so, so then when you watch the, the next two episodes that I've watched, it how that all spans out is so interesting. It's absolutely intriguing, yeah. So it gets more and more kind of captivating. He's really, they were, He was really keen. He was going on about how he really hopes people do watch those first three because they're kind of like a thing in itself and then it's going to play out for another kind of five or six episodes, yeah. Oh, so the three together are yeah. kind of one almost complete piece. Yes, That's in a way. Yeah, so they all, so they, so for example, the flashbacks will stop at the end of episode three and then it's just set in the present day pretty much. So the kind of story of how it's all involving his wife and all of that plays out across those three episodes, yeah. 
Interesting, because mm. it does that. Those first, uh, those first ten minutes, I thought I knew exactly where I was. Yeah. You know, there's a gang, and and yeah. everybody's doing exactly what you expect them to do. Um, but get through the first quarter because the first quarter yeah. is just setting up your expectations, just to kick the fuck out of exactly. them, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we, and it is, and it, what is disconcerting is, is I think we. Our diet of TV at the moment is so high quality, but also everything is is fits a very mm. particular shape, and this is kind of unsettling in yeah. that it doesn't. But I think it's part of what yeah. makes it exciting. Um, is this a Sky One original? It is. What I was going to say that. So this is Sky One original, and I feel like you know probably two or three years ago it would have been Sky Atlantic because it's mm. because because it is such a high level of production values and and you know it's a quality. I think, but so I think this is one going to be end up being one of the best things that's been on Sky One because uh, yeah, it's Sky One. And it's just coming after Brassic, right? Which yeah. was another yeah, so they're on a bit of a roll. which Absolutely. is which is a proper Tifa, I yes. have to say. Yes. Tifa. Is that what Tifa means? I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I never knew. I just heard <laughs> I just heard somebody yeah. else using the phrase Tifa and I, I was like I am I'm totally gonna, gonna use it and like see how it goes down. Yeah. Apart from I wasn't sure what it really meant. Temple will be on Sky One on Friday the 13th of September. Correct. And you'll be able to watch the whole thing and the whole box set as well from that night. I believe. Excellent, excellent. Next, we have Top Boy, which last aired on Channel 4 six years ago after winning a bucket full of awards and after two seasons. It's now been revived for a third by Netflix by a team including the actual Drake. And the actual Drake turned up at the premiere this week at Hackney Picture House, which was amazing to see. Amon, do you want to kick us off on Top Boy? Yeah, so Top Boy was a show that I watched when it started back up back in the day, but I haven't so I've not caught up with it and kept up with it. But watching this episode made me want to go back and catch up with it properly and sort of, you know, reacquaint myself with the show because it's really the first episode is really, really good. Um, it features a lot of good men making bad decisions for mm-hmm. good and bad reasons. Yeah. Watching uh, characters struggle with that is compelling TV especially when uh, they're played the characters are played by Ashley Walters who is really really good as Duchesne you can see him fight with that, mm. that internal struggle with, without him actually saying much and that's great acting um, I also like the authenticity of Black Britain I like the authenticity of Jamaica these are places you don't see that often on screen depicted like this and I appreciated that and just, I love how the themes of family and loyalty are really tied into all the all significant characters and how that plays itself out. So I'm really, really excited to continue watching this. It's a really good first episode. No sign of Kano or Letitia Wright yet, but I'm looking forward to them making appearances too. Is Letitia Wright back? I'm, I've heard that she is back. That would be amazing yeah. if they got her back. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought their their commitment to authentic language was really important um, in terms of when they're in Jamaica, you know, and and when they're in London, there isn't an attempt to kind of make it sound a little bit more mainstream for people. And their commitment to that is kind of just one example, I think, of the authenticity in this show. And it's always been about that naturalistic, super real um just representation of of these communities and these lives which we so rarely see on screen and they haven't lost that at all and I just thought Ashley Walters is just incredible absolutely incredible it looks absolutely fantastic Boyd you're nodding for you a fan yeah I find the extraordinary thing about Top Boy is that it's created by a 60 something Irish guy Ronan Bennett who is still writing he's written this first episode 
and um, still heavily involved. And it's extra- you know what they say sometimes. In fact, they said this recently um, on a few. I watched a few interviews with creators of different shows recently where they said this is this was my story to tell. You know, they're talking mm. about how they're from a certain community mm. and they felt this is they wanted to write about their story and their. And this is not. You could say if you wanted to, this is not his story to tell because yes. he, you know he is not a young sixteen-year-old black guy living in East London. I think it all started. We've done our whole history in, again in our current issue of Pilot TV about this. From the producers and they explain how he was observing the, where yes. he lived his locale in east london and that's how it all started back way back when yeah it was a particular thing a 10 year old yeah and he um, watched 10 year old dealing drugs dealing drugs, dealing drugs right? so i think actually it just shows you that those rules you know if you start kind of saying this is what you should and shouldn't do about creating stuff that maybe sometimes there are exceptions I think this is a massive exception because I think apart from you know he's got everyone else working on the show is yes is, and that's important that right important, that's course. important is he's 100%. surrounded himself Surround, with exactly, people exactly so um, but I just think it's an interesting point that he has created this whole thing essentially but I, I, I you know I, I watched it at the time and um, it was I remember at the time thinking first of all Ashley Waters you know who was part of So Solid Crew and was like acting his ass off yeah. brilliantly he's so even better now I mean, now he's like in this. He's just so much he has to do, and he's absolutely incredible. Um, looks great with a beard, by the way, in episode one. He's in Jamaica, um, and I just thought it just—it's it, even more important now because obviously now with with knife violence being mm. an incredible thing, which it deal, which it will deal with in the series quite strongly. Um, all of this, it's kind of rep, 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 repetitive learned behaviour that you know still kids will get involved in this stuff in their locale and how do you avoid it and how do you get into it and why why is one kid getting embroiled in this and why is another kid not? It deals with all of that kind of stuff and you know where is the morality. How do you stop yourself from kind of doing wrong and getting involved in in violence? It's just fascinating. So I was very impressed with with this episode. And I just think it's amazing that it took Drake partly to. So I think they showed it in in the states. Um, yeah, and he, and lo- he watched Netflix. Kind of, yeah. So Netflix had bought the rights yeah. to the first two seasons, showed it. He loved it and tweeted. And then I think right. directly got in touch with Ashley yeah. and was like, yeah. this is amazing. How yeah. is it not a third season? Yeah. Why didn't a third season get made well, by I Channel think, 4? Well, I think because probably at the time ratings weren't in- incredible. You know, what? You know, it was a fairly, it was a gritty, you know, quite bleak, very, very real and authentic series. And it wasn't, because it wasn't particularly, I don't know, soapy or it was very, it was it was a proper quality piece. Of, I don't think ra- that ratings were huge back then. So mm. they didn't give him a third series but he they always wanted to do a third series and now thank god they've been able to do it and i think it's i think it's great i think it's an it's a, we were talking about netflix generally before another example of when they sometimes they just do great things which is revive top boy it's one of the least likely things you'd ever get them to do but it's brilliant they've done it i just hope it manages to sustain the quality because yeah uh season one and season two are top boy or four episodes each this is a 10 yes. season. yeah yes uh, so i'll be interested to see that and uh, to your point earlier it just goes to show you that if you embed yourself in the culture then you can create authentic yeah, content. Yeah. And actually, uh, I watched uh, In the Yard, uh, a movie, mm. uh, documentary came out uh, a week and a half ago um, about sort of Jamaican, the, the roots of reggae. That's directed by Peter Weber. He's yeah. not good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's a really good documentary because he embedded himself in that culture. He surrounded himself with the right people. He uh, let the people on, on camera actually tell their story and gave them the time and the space to do that. Uh, so yeah, I'm. It's it's, it's another exception yeah, in this case, yeah. but uh, it can happen. 
it's behaving with care and consideration, right? And and yeah, caring exactly. about telling nuanced stories that reflect reality and not some kind of trope or an easy thing. Because this isn't easy, actually. There's a lot of violence. And as you say, there's like bad guys making bad decisions. There's good guys making bad decisions. It's it's that entire kind of like um, tapestry of, of morality and right and wrong and circumstance, as you say, yeah. Boyd, and kind of the society we live in and, and the pressures that plays and the role that plays has to be handled so delicately. And I think it takes filmmakers who really give a shit about yeah. creating something real, not something easy and kind of that's just going to grab the headlines or tell a certain version of that story, which a certain part of the audience would, you know, swallow wholeheartedly as opposed to this, which is challenging and interesting and not easy at all, but all the more real and brilliant for it, right? Yeah, completely, yeah. Boyd, when's it on? Uh, Top Boy is on, starts on Friday the 13th as well. Wow, Friday the 13th is a good, good day. <laughs> it is. Good, good day, Friday the 13th. It's also yes. the evening of the Pilot TV podcast Ooh. at the London Podcast Festival with our very special guest, Russell Tovey. Um, there are still a few tickets left. Consider this your final warning. <laughs> Oh no, that sounds like a lorry reversing. Yeah. Um, you trying to do a klaxon? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's good noise. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry about that. It's just what you want on a podcast is somebody uh, <laughs> uh, trying to do an alarm sound at you. Um, there are still a few tickets left at kingsplace.co.uk. Um, so you can watch the Pilot TV podcast in person. Talk to us. Meet us. Touch Russell Tovey's hair, right, Boyd? Yeah, we got I think, I think we'll be fine with that, yeah. And then you can go home and watch An Embarrassment of Riches that has been released that day. But we're not done yet, because finally this week we have Unbelievable, a new Netflix true crime series based on an episode of radio show This American Life and the Pulitzer Prize-winning article An Unbelievable Story of Rape by journalist T. Christian Miller. The story looks at how a teenager's rape allegation is doubted and dismissed by male detectives while hundreds of miles away, two female cops are looking into very similar cases. It stars Caitlin Dever, who starred in Booksmart earlier this year, Tony Collette and Merritt Weather. Um, the showrunner is Susanna Grant, the writer of Erin Brockovich. Stella, 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 all the way round. Obviously, this is peak me. But I love this. I love this so much that last night um, I stayed up till 2am watching three episodes <laughs> um, because I couldn't leave it after mm, one. Mm. Um, I fucking love this. I mean, I love Caitlin. I have to like, Booksmart is one of my films of the year. She's incredible in it. This is this couldn't be more different in terms of the character she plays. Um, I loved everything about this. The kind of authenticity, the way it was shot, shot in a super interesting way. So there are several kind of scenes where she's with the police. These two detectives we're talking about is shot in such an intense and claustrophobic and close way that you are totally... The tension is unbearable. I, I had to stop it at one point because I couldn't keep watching it. Um, the way it deals with kind of the systemic problems around sexual assault, which are around disbelief, which are around um, some kind of traditional detectives, um, in this case, willingness to believe women, especially if the stories are a little bit complicated, um, and actually the contrast with Tony Collette and Merritt Weber, who play these incredibly sensitive kind of um but hard ass but very very sensitive female cops is extraordinary and i just think Kathleen's amazing because what she what she conveys especially in the first couple of episodes is this 
this sense of what happens when you're not believed. And she's a, a girl who's been through loads of trauma um, and is just trying to survive. Um, there are lots of flashbacks, which are quite... They, they, t the way they tell the story is really interesting because the flashbacks are used to show the trauma of constantly having to relive and reaccount your sexual assault, which happens to a lot of women in that scenario. You have to tell your story over and over again, which is, is itself traumatizing. Instead of just showing her telling her story over and over again, they use the same flashbacks over and over again, which I think is a really, really smart storytelling device. Um, three episodes in, I like can't wait to get home tonight so I can watch some more. Um, what else did we think? I would concur with practically everything you just said. I've only seen the first episode, but the first episode is masterful. Um, the way in which it's put together is just great from how they how, how they stage the seeds of doubt. Yes. Um, how they introduce the various flashbacks that inform uh, her mental state. Just incredibly put together. And it just really... I love how it put you in the headspace of the character from the word go. Um, you know, she has to, as you say, recount the story over and over and over again. That's upsetting. The cold and detached way in which uh, the male detectives are questioning her in the first episode is also upsetting. I'm actually, I'm one and a half episodes in because I was trying to get the bits yeah. and watch more of this as well. And the marked difference between uh, how the male detectives treat the victim in the first episode and how the female detectives treat the victim in the second episode is incredible. Is uh, it? I said, do you know what? I actually thought there was a time jump. I rewound it because, because, but I thought there was a time jump of like a decade or something because the contrast was so great. Yeah. I thought, oh, we actually, if I'm mistaken, it was that in the 90s and this mm. is because it's 2011, I think. And it go, and I was like, hang on, is it 10 years apart? Because as you say, the contrast was remarkable. It was like mm. two different generations. Yeah. yeah, just the sensitivity and respect. Uh, which was lacking in the first episode. You got that here. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to watch more. I didn't know about this story beforehand, but, and that's one of the great things about what we do and that uh, they can illuminate uh, these type of things which people don't have heard about. So I'm intrigued to sort of watch this and then do all the research on mm. to find out about the real-life case and... It's got me to that level of interest with one episode, and that's impressive. I had to stop myself Googling last night because yeah. I was like, I, I want, because obviously that will unfold the whole story for me, right? And I was like, yeah. I'm going to read this and I'm going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, and then I was like, no, I shouldn't do that. Yeah, I did Google it. Cause I, so I wrote a thing in Pilot TV about it. And, and I, my me, so I did, I watched the first three episodes um, before I wrote that piece and my, what immediately struck me was it's like for me it's an object lesson how to do this kind of thing mm -hmm. how to tell a true crime story which essentially could be done in a you know we've we've reviewed some of them on this podcast where they end up being a bit cheesy a bit weird a bit almost sometimes too tasteful sometimes too yes. kind of bland in a way because they feel they have to respect the people the living people involved i just think this is so it's perfectly handled isn't it and that right from that first episode where the detail of what happens to a young to anyone who's been raped and then how it's that is going to be investigated with men leading that investigation which i don't think how would happen anymore certainly not in this country mm. i think that but certainly did happen then and i think probably still does in america in certain places is grueling and intense and horrendous but so authentic it seems and you're taken step by step through that process 
incredibly brilliantly done. And then once the once the detective is introduced in episode two, I think you don't yeah. see him in episode one. Yeah. Played by a Merritt Weaver, who is unbelievably great. Isn't She's she so brilliant? soulful. Yeah. Isn't she? It's like as soon as you see her. You're like, oh, you know, you're the dealing with a human walks, being. The way she yeah. walks. Do you yeah. know what's really interesting? She, you first see her in the car and she gets out of the car. She starts to walk. And I was like, I was really like thrown off by it. She walks in like, it, it, yeah. I, I know it sounds stupid to say somebody walks like they've got a soul. But yeah. she did. The way she walked totally, and yeah. carried yeah. herself and her yeah. manner. Because the bloke, the bloke detectives and the other half of the story are just, and they're not even monstrous. They're not no, monstrous. They're One, not. They're, there's a great bit where they have a little chat to each other after they've yes. interviewed yes. the, the the girl for about the second or third time and they and that's a brilliant scene to show they're not monsters they're just they think they're doing the job they think they're doing yeah. the right thing and that was brilliantly handled i just think it's so it's the texture of it is so brilliantly done I, and you almost can't you know it reminded me a, bit, a little bit of when they said because that was fantastically yeah. handled or, or you know it felt so true every step of the way this does as well and i agree and caitlin De- deva diva deva is just i mean she has to go through a lot and it's just so incredible how she handles it all. Um, and I love Booksmart as well. It's, it's, it's fantastic. But to see this whole completely, she's so funny in that. She's so, you know, real and authentic. And it's someone put, dealing with trauma, this, you know, almost ultimate trauma. It, it's just a brilliant piece of, again, filmmaking TV. It is unbelievably good. It's also, it's also just nice to see a character who's really good at their job be good at that. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just nice. Yeah, I, I was like watching that. Yeah, but as like as you say, Boyd, the the way they humanised everybody in it, so that it was because it's so easy in that scenario, right? To be they're evil and they're yeah. out to kind of get all women, and yeah. but you don't get the sense they do believe her, and no. there's there's doubts for certain reasons and inconsistencies because you know she's been through a traumatic event and she's recounting it mm. over and over again, and she may miss a detail out here that she told to a friend over here. And they kind of manipulate her in a way they, you know, they use tactics that they'd use against the suspect, which is presumably yeah. the way they're trained. And that that conversation you're speaking of is 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 fascinating because one of the guys in particular is very sympathetic. Yeah, yeah. But fundamentally, they both get to the same place of, you know, yeah. dismissing her and kind of... It makes you, re- I think it makes you think about the whole, uh, whole idea of false accus- accusers yeah. as well. The idea that once someone is deemed they've made a false accusation even legally you know if they're found guilty of it that you know you've got to look at that more closely it's yeah. not necessarily the same you know for all of these different people and i think this whole story this whole which is a true story and everything that's going to play out all happened i think will make people rethink about the way they talk about that whole idea of false accusations and what you know why, why people end up saying things completely in police interviews that they may not actually think and they may not you know they just end up people and it's false confessions it's yeah. another you know it's the same kind of thing we've seen in making a murder and other things like that people say stuff in four kinds of reasons and it's kind of it's terrifying really so it's, it's like a nightmarish situation yeah. but this actually reminded me of the jesse smollett case yeah mm. yeah in many ways uh, talk about false accusations and how that played out uh, so yeah, but yeah, I'm excited to also get out of here so I can continue watching. Yes. <laughs> so that's Friday as well. It's Netflix. All, these, these, all, all Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And this other one that I want to quickly mention is also Friday the thirteenth. Go on, Boyd. So on Amazon Prime, there's a new animated show called Undone, which is from two of the creators of BoJack Horseman. Don't let that put you off. I'm not a BoJack fan. No. You maybe I'm. I don't know. You, no. Fine. Nobody on this podcast is. No. Um, this is a really good, honestly, um, uh, animation. It's done in the rotoscope style. You know of those. Um, you know those. It's kind of very um, almost realistic. The pace of the animation. It's kind of like mm. you know 
I think they basically take people, act, you know, actors interacting and they kind of trace over almost. This is a very simplistic animation to be furious with me. But it's got a kind of ultra real, realistic form to it rather than, you know, kind of the Bojack Horseman kind of thing. So it's completely nothing like that. It's It's got a very real feel. But in, intriguingly, it's about a woman who in the very first scene is, is in a car crash. And from then it's all about how that then affects her, how, how affects her mind and her thoughts and almost time seems to bend and things happen out of order. And it's kind of look, delving into her mind. And it's so really, really well done how they use the form of this rotoscope animation to kind of show you what's going on in her mind and her world. It's really, really good. And it's and she's played by Rosa Salazar of Alita Battle Angel, yes. fan, who's clearly specialising in doing <laughs> CGI animated versions of her. It's really interesting. I have problems with Alita Battle Angel. She's oh, yeah. Not one of them. No, she's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah we all have problems amazing. with Alita Battle Angel. And when well, does that drop, Boyd? Friday the 13th. Friday the, it's the oh, day, yeah. It's the week of stuff happening all Do you know on what? Friday the 13th. Fuck it, take the day off work. <laughs> yeah. I give you permission yeah. to take the day off and work. And then come to see us. Apart from if you work for me, do not take the day off work. <laughs> yeah, we've actually got the our internal awards on that day. And may I mind you, what a day. day internal awards, <laughs> the pilot podcast, yeah. the yeah. day of dreams. Day of dreams. So, what are our picks of the week? I'm saying unbelievable, I think. Come on. Unbelievable for me too. God damn it, James is going to be furious. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable is our pick of this week. Now, Banshee, we're going to Banshee Sans James. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Just because, you know, I couldn't bear him choosing the Darling Buds of May or some <laughs> other small niche show that nobody's ever heard of. Um, but do you want to kick us off? Sure. I was thinking of animated shows. In So Quiz of Undone, which is one of the best animated shows I've seen for a long time. I'm not a huge fan of animated shows, so I've seen this podcast before. But one thing I did love was back, way back when, in when was it? In the 90s, in the mid-90s, um, The Critic which was kind of a spin-off of The Simpsons, which a lot of people didn't see and a lot of people still haven't heard of, I think. That's why I'm banishing it. It was, There were 23 episodes of it. It was a first shown on ABC. Then it finished its run on Fox. It was created by Al Jean and worked on The Simpsons. And it was all about John Lovitz voiced about a film critic. It was an animated series. That sounds awful. About a film critic. I'm sorry. Critic. No. Like, why would you want brilliant. an animated series about a fucking film critic? Because all you do is sit in a dark room, no, 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 no. argue with other film critics. Because then it would spoof. So it would spoof the kind of films he was criticising. So there was Apocalypse Now, the musical, etc., which I remember very well. And so they would have these wonderful animated little kind of um, moments shown from the films he was reviewing. Then you got to see his life his and kind of why he was a kind of slightly irritating, classic male, white, middle-aged film critic type thing. It was a critique of that, of that type of person. Honestly, you'll love it. Did it air over here? Yeah, it aired over here briefly, I think. I, mean, I can't even remember what channel it was on over here. Probably, I think it was probably on Sky because I think it was, you know, mm. part of the Simpsons package. But I may be wrong. It may have been on Channel 4 or something. And the one other thing is, is that the theme tune was by Hans Zimmer. Randomly. What? Yes. I know. Hans Zimmer? Hans Zimmer. Yes. Hans Zimmer scoring a piece yeah. of animation yeah. about parodying film critics. Yeah. What more can you want? See, I buried the lead and I've got you there with that final, that final fact. That's proper spun me out. Yeah. This is like Inception. It is. The Critic. Yeah. I'm on, follow that. I am actually going to change my earlier... Ooh. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to say that a show that you should check out is an animated show. It's on Netflix right now. It's called Transformers Prime. And... I'm a big, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Boyd, you've already... Did you just what? sigh, Boyd? <laughs> no, I kind of was like, what? Justifying myself, okay? Yeah. Um, now, 
I'm a big sort of Transformers fan, and somebody has to be. <laughs> and yeah, I know James is actually as well. So somebody has to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, like many, I've been disappointed with the way the Michael Bay films turned out. I really liked Bumblebee uh, last year, um, but everything that you wanted from the films, you get in this series, um, which is just great. Um, Peter Cullen. Uh, once again, reprises his role as Optimus Prime. And Peter Cullen, it's like, I feel the same way about Peter Cullen as I do with Kevin Conroy and Batman. You just, if it's not them voicing the characters, it just doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And Peter Cullen is just amazing in the voice role. And, you know, we get Megatron as he's meant to be. We get Optimus Prime as he's meant to be. The action is great. The human characters who are annoying in the films, the human <laughs> characters are great in this. Everything that you could want from the films, you get in this show. It lasted three series, I think, um, and it had a movie at the end of the series. All of that is on Netflix right now. I highly recommend taking that. The, the score as well is by Brian Tyler, who is great, big fan, and his main theme is excellent. So, yeah, if I can get more people to check out Transformers Prime, that would be... I'm just trying to find it on my Netflix. So, uh, yeah, it's like a proper... It's a fully animated thing. yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the wow. action is great. If you type into YouTube sort of Optimus Prime versus Megatron, it will probably... Uh, there's a fight which I'm thinking of, which is just incredible. It actually reminds me of um, one of the fights he's in Equilibrium, would you believe? But wow. it's, that, it's, it's really, really good. And, yeah, unfortunately, it came out around the, the same time as the Transformers films, and a lot of people were, you know, rightfully crapping on it. Um, but the show is great. And I promise you, if you are any kind of Transformers fan, give it a chance. You'll be pleasantly surprised. I can oh. confirm it does exist. I've never heard of it, I have to say. Yeah. Wow. I don't Which know is... if we've ever had something that Boyd has never heard of. You've achieved the impossible. You've achieved the impossible. I'm kind of torn because it's like Transformers <laughs> versus... Film critic parody. Yeah. I feel one, like I'm in the seventh circle of hell right yeah. now. Yeah. But probably I'm going to have to go Boyd. Thanks. I Thanks. know. Just be, you got yeah. me with Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Like, Hans Zimmer. You got me too. Yeah. I'm a, I'm Thanks. <laughs> Hans Zimmer. I'm, I'm a massive sort of. Yeah. I knew I'd get you with that. And he is the guy who opened my ears to what film you can do. Gladiator is still my favorite score of all time. I don't see that ever changing. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, even I'm like, I got to check that out. Yeah. So. Next, the next time you see him doing one of his concerts, you can shout out, do the critic. <laughs> He'll be like, how is that one person remembered? Yeah. Yeah. Who gave that one person access to that show? Yeah. Stop it. I was at his concert in Wembley a couple of years back. It was incredible. Just, yeah, he's a showman. I love him. Right. And that is it for another Pilot TV podcast. Until next week, do converse with us on Twitter at Terry underscore White at Boyd Hilton. I'm on what's your handle? Um, at a woman to ends. Okay, I'm pleased you're... Wait a minute, is this a bit where I talk about Blue Bloods? Oh my God, <laughs> not again! Oh yeah, that's right. Hi Chris. It's time to talk about Blue Bloods, motherfuckers. Do the Skeksis. Naughty, naughty! <laughs> I'm gonna... Okay. I'm, I'm, as much as I don't want to... 
upset James by coming up with a franchise that doesn't revolve entirely around him. We should <laughs> we should create Gosh. one which revolves entirely around you. Oh, I like it. And have I'm you coming in at the end of uh, every show. Well, Chris does the blue bloods. Yeah, Chris does the blue bloods. You could do the, the history of the blue bloods just in the last five minutes of the podcast. It could in span out over the next voice. twenty in the Skeksis voice. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to work. Give it a go. Go on. A family of New York policemen. <laughs> The Reagans. The commissioner is Tom Selleck. And his dad, the worst character in the history of comedy, not comedy, television, that's what it is, is played by an actor just six years older than Tom Selleck. And next week, Chris will be back to do part two. I was going to say, please leave five of your very best stars on our iTunes reviews page. I think after that, we'll take two. Three, if you're feeling generous. Um, do join us next week when Chris will be back, as will our very own Theresa May, James Dyer, um, who will be dancing badly back into our lives, by which point maybe the country will have imploded. But until then, pilot out. Naughty, naughty. <laughs>